0: Hello, 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 hello. Happy Tuesday you guys. Welcome back to another episode of The Barthond Podcast. I am so excited to have you here today, mainly because I so dearly love our guest. I mean, my goodness. There are people on earth that I think you come in contact with and they they run across your path and they play a very specific role. And they just understand you, right? They just kind of get you. And from the moment that you meet, you just kind of click. Our guest today is Caitlin Fusco, and she is the host of the Happy Home Birth podcast. And for me, Caitlin is one of those people. From the moment that we met, we have just clicked. We first met over Instagram, and if you head over to her, her Instagram, at... Happy Home Birth podcast. You're going to see very similar ideations, very similar beliefs and morals and just the way that we believe women's health should go and the rights that women should have and the access that people should have. That's all very important to both of us and you're just going to understand how synergistic we are synergistic is that a word did i just make that up or is that an actual real word can someone tell me is that a real word <laughs> all right you guys i'm so excited where are the home birthers at who out there is planning a home birth we love 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 home births here at tranquility by hee hee and boston has some really phenomenal kick-ass midwives i mean Just absolutely phenomenal home birth midwives. So, we love home births. I wanted to share why. Because home births, you know, they have this way of being super controversial. And in my mind, it really comes down to education and then patient choice. There are going to be people who are drawn to home birth, and then there are going to be people who are drawn to the hospital. And I believe that equally you should have those options. Now, home birth is not legal in all 50 states. That is something very important to know. So currently, right now, in 2020, in the United States of America, these two places, these two choices, these two rights of birthing people are not actually rights. We don't actually have access. All of us, at least. We don't all have access to this. Some of us do. If we're lucky enough to live in a state where it's legal, we can, you know, have care freely and, and openly. Caitlin and I are going to dive into what happens when you live in a state where it's illegal. Some states are going to turn a blind eye, and then some states, there's gonna be real consequence like fines and jail time. Home birth needs to be an option for everybody in our country even if it's not something that you would personally choose. Having the respect for your fellow birthing person that you get to choose what you want and they too should be able to choose what they want is super important. It is utterly important that as birthing people, we stand united, not only for ourselves, but for each other, and truly demand that everybody gets equal access and everybody has all options. You as a consumer, you as the birthing parent, you as the parent, period, should be able to make decisions about your birth and your body. All right, I'm rambling now, so I'm gonna mums the word, And I am going to introduce you to my friend and fellow doula, Caitlin. Welcome to the show.
1: Oh, hee hee. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to chat. We were chatting before and we were in good stuff. So I just wanted to go ahead and start recording. Um, All right. So this episode is going to be I think it's going to stretch people's thinking. I think we're going to push people to the edge of um, kind of their thoughts now. And I hope that we can open some doors for them to at least like peek through or touch your toes in. I just want to get your wheels turning. Um, I hope that by hearing Kaylin and I chat today, you can walk away with some confidence. And not only do you have choices, um, but also that things are not always as they appear so question ask why make sure that all of your options are being presented and that it's actually true information and it's not fear based information and that things that you know you're being told are proven, or they're evidence-based, or there's a medical necessity for things. Um, Medical manipulation is totally real, and it's so, so out there. I'm excited to have Caitlin on for so many reasons. I mean, she has that midwifery background. She also is a midwife mama herself, and you guys heard that in the intro, but today we're really going to talk about kind of getting down to the bottom of home birth and dispelling the things of why it seems so scary and why that's actually not True. So that is what I hope that you take away from today's episode. So Caitlin, okay. I'm so excited to jump in. I want to just kind of dive in, but before we dive into homework, which I know everyone is here for, I actually want to rewind the clock, like way, 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 way back. Okay. To like, like not so much stone ages, but maybe stone ages. I want to talk about how we used to birth, like before we moved to hospitals and, you know, what did it look like when people actually lived in tribes? And then how did it look like when we kind of got a little bit more developed and we had people actually attending our births at home? And then what happened that now birth is like this emergency. It's like this super medicalized thing. It's it's this thing that is viewed as, Oh my gosh, like uncontrollable and unpredictable and very scary and dangerous and needs to be managed rather than needs to be watched and supported and responded to rather than reacted to. We can respond to birth and be supportive. There's no need to react in a in a large wild way. I mean, I guess sometimes there are emergencies. I don't want to discount that or discredit that. There will always be some sort of inherent risk and anything like that, right? So emergencies do happen, but they are so low. So we should be responding instead of reacting. So okay, go. I've I've kind of rambled, but how did we get from, you know, the tribal field to a little bit more developed to now we are just way off base. Yeah.
1: Oh, oh you got me so excited. No. Okay. So I love this topic because I think that we are so ingrained now, especially in the United States, um, to think that birth is a medical event that just has to take place in the hospital. I mean, that's just in our minds. I know growing up, that's how it was for me. My mom had all three of her children as as C-sections. And so when I was growing up, I thought, okay, well, I'll have C-sections for my babies. Birth is surgery, the end. So I don't think I'm alone in that. Whether, you know, you're you were born from a cesarean section, whether, you know, you're whatever, however you got here, it's very likely that you grew up thinking that birth was a medical event. It's kind of crazy because we haven't even had hospitals for that long. So the fact that birth has transitioned from something that was just a it's kind of like the extraordinary normal, you know, like birth is extraordinary, but it is normal. It's transitioned from that to something that we have to have like flashing lights and warning signs and oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like, how did that happen? So great question. Let's go ahead and start back. You know, you talked about how, you know, like the stone ages, like birth, birth is, of course, we've been birthing from the very beginning, you know, and even we talk about Midwives, when we just go back to birth professionals, I mean, biblically, look in Genesis. Midwives are mentioned in Genesis. Like this is from the very beginning. We have been giving birth and women have been supporting other women in birth. So this is not new. Midwifery is not some new age woo-woo thing. This is literally from the beginning. So I love to start there. I also like to think about or to talk about the fact that when in the past we were giving birth, it was not so isolated. So now, you know, even if you have a doula, even if you have your partner with you, you are going into a hospital typically where you're giving birth and it is a teeny, teeny, tiny little group, maybe, maybe a a threesome, you know, you, your partner, your doula. It's a small group that we're giving birth with. Back before the hospital and before this became the norm, birth was a community event. So we were growing up seeing women give birth hundreds of times before we gave birth and seeing, oh wow, this this works, of course, this is what we do. Moms were at the birth, sisters, aunts, like we were all there and we were, were all supporting the person giving birth. So it wasn't this crazy, shocking thing and we knew our bodies were made to do this. We knew that we were created, we were designed to be able to give birth. So of course, like you mentioned, that doesn't mean that every single time it goes perfectly of course birth is wild it it is a wild event but it is something that is not supposed to be just deeply in our bones that we're fearful of um and i think that that is the biggest issue is there's just become this shift and we can definitely get into how that happened especially in the united states because if you compare our maternity system to other places you know look in the uk look in In Denmark, in the Netherlands, it is so different and home birth is, is highly more common, but you know, the way that the U S medical, like the American medical association formed, it was, it was a business. And one of the things that they did was instead of working with midwives, instead of, um, learning, Oh, what are these practices that these skilled birth professionals use how can we you know work with that? No, it was these people are dirty. these people are not educated. We are educated. we have you know we we've created these schools and we're going to these schools. so they realized that they could i mean really just totally trash these midwives who had you know decades centuries of knowledge passed down one to the other, one to the other, you know, these amazing, um, established communities. They, they relied on these people. They just trashed them. There were smear campaigns and they talk about this in the business of being born, which is a a great documentary. Um, but they talk about how there were just these severe smear campaigns. And I actually have a podcast episode. I'm I'll have to, we can put it in the show notes, hopefully, of what episode number it is. But I actually spoke to a midwife, my friend, Janelle, about this and about how there were actually, there are transcripts in Varney's midwifery book from the AMA where they were talking about how they were going to convince the public that midwives were not quality, even though they knew. They even said like, yeah, so our outcomes are really bad. Our outcomes are way worse. But how can we convince people that the hospital is the place to go? So, yeah, it's pretty crazy.
0: Cancel culture has been around for <laughs> ages. Like, this is so, I'm, this is disgusting to me. But also, I'm not surprised at all. Like, ooh, I just say, ooh. Okay, so you mentioned, um, you know, the business of of birth. And I do want to dive into that. But before we kind of transition to that business side of birth, Birth, The Surprising History of How We Are Born. It's a book, Birth, The Surprising History of How We Are Born by Tina Cassidy. Um, It's a blue cover and has like a baby on it. It is a great book. And so for me, this book was my first introduction to the history of birth, right? And it's actually where I kind of was like, whoa, wow. I never even thought about past kind of, you know, I don't know midwives at your home I never thought about what did we do before midwifery was like an actual career and the truth is it always has been a career but it it was never this like paid thing midwives are just part of your community they just served women and so we did have to make a shift for it to be a career but I never thought about it in you know the the stone ages I guess and and the book birth the surprising history of how we're born does a really great job of um, sharing actually a, a whole recount from a person um, who, you know, kind of left and she had her baby and she returned 24 hours. And she was like, I did it by myself in the woods, leaned up against the tree. And that's exactly what my body needed. And it just, for me, it was such a turning point of like, wow, we have truly been doing this for ages. So how did we turn this into a business? How did we get from home birth to the hospital, and, and obviously, those smear campaigns
1: were successful. How did this happen? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it really was one of those, it's just so insidious. Like, the, it started off where doctors, you know, doctors had become prevalent. That as a career had become prevalent but birth was left untouched there for a minute because that was that was woman's work you know that was a woman's job a, a doctor's not going to go into the home and deal with birth because that's like it's just weird but that was that was not considered a normal event it was below them right well yeah like i mean it was just <laughs> ooh, no no <laughs> but yeah. yeah it 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 started off that way and then and then they realized but wait <laughs> hold on a second. We could make money out of this. Like I'm seeing a business opportunity here. So that is what happened. And so, you know, it did start, it did start at home. Uh, doctors did begin attending births at home, but the shift to the hospital was massive. It was, that's really what revolutionized everything because it turned into like, Ooh, like why would you have your baby in your home? Like it's, dirty, it's unclean, it's unsterile, where you could come to this beautiful, lovely facility where we have all of these tools that we can use and we have these medications that we can give you. Um, So that is what happened. It it began um, kind of as like, oh, I'm going to be fancy. Like, oh, this is bougie even. Like, you know, like I'm going to go to the hospital to have my baby. And so then it just kind of filtered down throughout society. And then it became the norm. Like, Oh, you go to the hospital. And the other thing that we need to talk about is it was not like the hospital today. Like women were going into the hospital, partners were not with them. They were going into these back rooms. We don't know what happened. You know, like the, the, the partner has no idea what's going on. And they even, and I think that they even talk about this again in the business of being born. I know that I've read it. They would use like sheepskin wraps around their arms so that when they were held down with all of these drugs, they wouldn't leave marks. So the, the the drugs that they were giving them actually didn't help with pain management at all. It was knocking them out. So they're basically like in and out of consciousness this entire time. Do you think it's really easy to have a baby that way? Do you think that it's easy for a baby to come out that way? It is not, my friend. And so their, their rates of mortality were just abhorrent. I mean, it, there was quite the learning curve. And that's what's, I mean, it's just disturbing to think how behind the times they were with their practices as opposed to what was going on in the community beforehand when using midwives, you know. Um, So that is the hospital was seen as the safe option. But in reality, if you looked at what was going on, it was the last place you would want to be.
0: That can still be said today.
1: (laughs) <laughs> like that
0: is literally the same story we look at today for a lot of people, you know, and I do want to, I know people out there are like, all right, I'm turning this crap off. I'm not talking about every single person. I do not think that a hundred percent of people are appropriate to have their babies at home. I do think a large part of people are appropriate to have their baby at home. We have cases that are emergencies, right? And, and need that medical attention, but
1: so many people do not. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think, honestly, I think a lot of this just comes from number one, the fact that so many people have no idea that it's an option. Like how can you have informed consent when you don't know all of the options? You can't. And I think that that that's something you talk about all the time, right? Like you need to know your options so that you are truly saying yes to whatever it is that you're saying yes to. Um, so when it comes to home birth, it's not talked about a a lot. 1% of the population gives birth at home right now in the United States, 1%. That's, that's teeny, but my thought and the reason that I created the happy home birth podcast is it would be a lot higher if people knew that it was a thing and if they knew that it was a safe thing. And so that's really where, that's where we need to be going is understanding that, like you said, no, home birth is not for everybody. Home birth is for low risk mothers. Now the great news is, is that the majority of people do fall into that category, over 90%. So 90% of people would be safe to have a home birth. That doesn't mean that they would be comfortable. That doesn't mean that I'm saying, well, you, if you're low risk, you just ha- should, I'm not. But that the safety factor is there. And the great news is that Midwives, you know, if if you're choosing to use a midwife, they are trained in low risk birth. They're they are so competent at assessing what is and is not low risk. So if you ever cross that threshold of, ah, you're starting to get towards that high risk area, then they are going to say like, okay, now we're going to go ahead and transfer your care over. This would be the appropriate time to transfer care. Also, it's important to note that though there are different types of midwives and they do practice in different ways, typically there is an overseeing type of provider that will also be able to check off and say like, yes, you are low risk. You are qualified for, for a home birth.
0: Oh man. Okay. I, I do want to go back to one thing. Um, jump back really quick. Cause you said, this is just sticking out in my mind. I don't want to forget it. You said, you know, oh, it's dirty to have your baby at home, you know, in your home and your germs. Those, those same germs that I live in every day. That I'm, <laughs> I'm going to bring that baby back home too. In what, just two days, three days. I'm going to bring that baby back home here. It's going to be not dirty then. Like what? That is one of my biggest pet peeves. I'm always like, wow, that just, you are actually going to a germy place. Now, the maternity ward, I think, is one of your cleaner wards mm-hmm. on, probably at the hospital. Those people aren't sick, right? We can't think about those people going to the hospital because they're sick. They're not. And they're going because they're having a baby. Mm-hmm. But you're still going to a place that houses sick people. So think yeah, about I'm that. About I mean,
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think that especially as the research with the microbiome has just, you know, it's just taken off in the last years. We are realizing more and more. that, like, Oh, Hey, that theory of like all germs being bad and scary and dangerous, it's just not accurate. And yeah, the other neat thing that's going on with the microbiome is that we're learning. A lot of people have always assumed the placenta or the, the amniotic sac is sterile. It is not. We are finding more and more that there, are, there is bacteria already there. So when the baby's not in this sterile vacuum, they're already being exposed to your microbes, to the microorganisms inside of your body. And so they are already attuned to the environment. So it's kind of cool to think about the fact that like, okay, if we are giving birth, in the place that we created the baby oftentimes, in the place that we have grown and nurtured this new life, we're giving birth to that new life in this atmosphere, is that not actually the safest place to, we're not exposing them to something new. We're exposing them to the friendly things that they've already grown accustomed to.
0: Oh my gosh. I love that that so much. Okay. Book closed, episode over. That's it. That's all you have to talk about to me. It just makes so much sense. It's like, it's like you're providing continuity of care for your baby. Like you're, you're, it truly is like you're, you're just going ahead and giving them continuous, you know, keeping everything stable for them. They're a brand new baby. Gosh, I love it. Okay. So business of being born you've seen it i've seen it a million and a half times probably i could recite it i'm it's so it's very eye opening for a lot of people right and i think this is um this is a turning point for a lot of people. I also love the documentary, Why Not Home? It's actually made by an OBGYN who had her babies at home. And and, and we follow that, the documentary you know, kind of follows that um, journey of her practicing as an OB and also preparing to have her babies at home and kind of stepping out of that system that she works within every day. And I think that's an eye-opening thing too. Let's talk about the business of being born. What do people need to know, pregnant people need to know as consumers to truly understand the role that they play in this bigger game of birth? And unfortunately, that is what it is. It's a business, you guys, and and we all play a role. And I think in order to have informed consent, you do have to understand your role and you have to understand all the kind of dark unspoken places because there are dark corners to this every business is going to have the corners mm-hmm. you want to have a business that has their corners lit up and that proudly say you know what here are the things we're working on and they don't have these dark corners with spider webs that no one ever pays any attention to and they continue to get darker and that's what we
1: have in birth so mm-hmm. let's talk about that yeah oh this is good so I think that there are a few different ways we can take this, a few different aspects for us to consider. The first thing I think is the most surface and the most basic, easiest for us to just kind of wrap our minds around. So I said 99% of people are giving birth in the hospital, right? Like that's a large percentage. It's busy. OBs are busy. People are having babies, right? So The the first issue is that the way that this system has been created, you know, you go in for your prenatal care and the majority of your appointment is not spent with your doctor. The majority of your appointment is sitting in the waiting room, you know, walking back with the nurse, getting your weight checked blah, blah, blah. Is there a lot of education going on between you and your provider? Not often. The other question is, is how often are you seeing the same person? You mentioned continuity of care. (laughs) Truly, how often are we having continuity of care? We're seeing maybe 12 different doctors. We don't know who the heck is going to show up when, when we're having our baby. So there's over there's overcrowding of practices there's so many patients coming in there's so many doctors to take care of all of those patients and of course like they want to grow it's a business they want to grow they want to be able to add more doctors to make more to generate more money so these practices are getting larger larger Larger, There is not the like, oh, hey, Caitlin, let's sit down and talk about how you're feeling today. Like, what are you emotionally feeling? You know, how is this pregnancy affecting you on a spiritual level? Like, that's not going to happen. There's no time. It's not even that it's like this evil situation or intentionally evil. It's that it's just a busy place. So we're going to get in, we're going to do what we got to do. We're going to get out. Now we can even go into the COVID stuff and how it's like, that's not even happening. We're hopping on a zoom call. Nobody's actually checking us very often. So that's another issue. But even if we just ignore that, we can see that it's a busy thing. It's a busy place. That's happening. The second issue that we could discuss is the fact that these obstetricians are super, super well-versed in surgery, right? Like that's what they went to school for. They went to school for surgery and darn it, they're good at it. Thank goodness. Thank goodness they are such skilled surgeons. However, do we need to be looking for pathology in every single birth No, we don't. Because like I said, 90% of us are low risk. And then of those 10%, how many actually need a cesarean section? It's a very, very small percentage of the 10%, which is not what we're seeing across the country, right? I mean, you can attest to that. That's not what we are seeing. So we're putting these people who are trained to see pathology, we're putting these people who are trained in surgery in a situation where they're not really needed (laughs) like it doesn't make sense that their job is to care for all of the the pregnancies going well like how are we expecting that of them it's really it's really too much responsibility for one person to carry and you know if you look at other places that's not how they divvy up the responsibilities midwives are taking care of the majority of low risk clients so there we go we've got another we've got another situation to consider how are we looking at birth? Are we looking at it as a normal event or are we looking at it as a pathology? Now there was one other thing I wanted to talk about. Okay, the the last thing, and I learned this just the other just yesterday, literally. I was talking to my friend Leslie, who is a nurse midwife, and she was telling me that the um, you know, when it comes to the laws. Most doctors, there's like a three-year period where they somebody could sue them, somebody could take them to court. Three years uh, after an event. When it comes to OBs, it's 21 years because they can look back and say, like, oh well, you know, there's this. They're having this issue that is a, a mental issue that's related back to birth, and so obstetricians can have to. They are they are legally like really in a tough place. They can get in a lot of trouble. And so it's a lot of money to cover them insurance wise. And because of this knowledge that, you know, if something goes wrong, I'm going to be on the hook and I could be on the hook for 21 years. Um, they really want to prove that they did every single thing that they could do to get that baby out safely so if there is even the slightest of like oh well the heart rate went down for just a a dip well take her to surgery like you know or you know cut the episiotomy do this do that let's do 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 to prove that we did everything everything that we could to make sure that this baby came out safely the end so like i said a lot of times what that leads to is it way more intervention than is actually necessary and way more intervention that's actually safe because obviously like if they were to go to court later it's going to it's going to sound a lot better if they say like oh well we tried this and this and this versus well we just left her alone and something happened which sometimes things happen no matter what like we said you know we kind of alluded birth is wild but that is kind of all of the things together, if we, we add these three pieces up, it's kind of, it's kind of scary if we're not super confident in our care provider, if we don't feel that we are completely aligned with them and that, that they totally understand where we are and see our case, our pregnancy as an individual and unique pregnancy, right?
0: Totally. And, you know, you talk about that Legislation. I talk about that all the time too. Our doctors are scared. Mm-hmm. We have put them in a place where they're terrified to do anything wrong because people in the birthroom are going to come for them. Right. They can no longer serve their community from their heart or their gut instinct. They so like strictly have to follow the policy so that they don't get hung up for those 21 years. Right. Because they know if they stray at all, no matter what their heart or their gut is telling them, nobody will have their back. Yeah. Now that is BS too. Our maternity system is really messed up, but I think you bring up a good point in all of this, that it's the system. Mm -hmm. It's not your doctor. Don't hate your doctor. Right. Don't, don't hate your medical providers, hate the system because it really is messed up for both ends for consumers and for our providers
1: yep i think i think that it's so easy for us to at least in the the kind of um midwifery world i would say like it it is easy for moms to say like oh yeah ob's are the worst like doctors are just they're just awful and that's not of course that's not true. It's just like any other profession, we've got great ones, we've got ones that are in it for the right reasons, and then we've got trash. Like yeah, that's that's life. Some humans just like don't don't care as much. Like that's that's the reality. So it's really important for us to remember that yes, these people these people are people and they are They're doing their best too, even if it is misguided. And a lot of times the other issue that I didn't touch on is the fact that the information that they are working on is outdated. And it takes so long for information to be trickled down to practice. So there might be like ACOG might say like, hey, episiotomies are not good. Like they'll come out with that statement It'll take 25 years for episiotomies to not be done, right? Because it takes that long for things to go down into practice. It's also because, you know, like I said, these doctors are so busy. Okay. They went to medical school 25 years ago. They learned the stuff in medical school and then they're in the trenches. Their head is down. They're working on these massive patient loads. They're in the hospital. They're in their clinic. It's busy. Do they have time to sit down and read like the evidence-based birth website all the time? Like no, I already said like they're super, super swamped. So, and I'm not saying that like that's an appropriate reason. I'm just saying like reality, that's what happens. So we are, they're, they're practicing on with, with standards that are just outdated.
0: That's one of the most frustrating parts to me. And you know, I, I feel I feel so torn here. And it feels crummy to, to say like, well, I don't care. You have to, but like, I don't care. You have to, if you are going to be dealing with people's lives and the lives of their babies, Dude, you just have to, like, there's no other way around it. You just have to find the time. You're going to have to put in boundaries. You're going to have to hire more people. You're going to have to hire someone to manage your calendar. You're going to have to offload something. You're going to have to stay up late, get up early, hire someone to give you the cliff notes. You're going to have to find the time. You said you would, Mm -hmm. you promised, you took an oath to take care of everybody, to give them the best care you promised us you would do it and you have to, or get out of the game, man. And that's truly how I feel. And it feels so crummy to like really call someone's hand on that. But, and I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not even a medical professional at all. I'm I don't not, even play don't, one on TV. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't even pretend to be one, right? Like, no way. I'm not. I, I do though... I hold myself and my my doulas and my team to that same standard. We're not medical professionals. And I get that. They are 1,000% you know, 1,000 uh, times more busy, busier than we are. Gosh, I struggled with that. But it. It, you just have to, you told us that you would, you promised as an OB to take care of people and you've got to do that. It's one of the priorities. So what else can you not do? Maybe that's not so much of a priority, right? I just, I, I do really feel strongly about that. Um, cause practicing evidence-based medicine really does it's make it or break it right. We practice not evidence-based care. You're probably going to end up in a C-section. You practice evidence-based care you're going to really increase your chances of having your ideal birth or at least a birth that's very similar and one that you felt in control of the entire time, even though you might not get your ideal birth, which I mean, I don't want people to think you can't. I've seen so many people walk away and be like, wow, that literally was everything I wanted. It totally can happen. But if it doesn't, then what's important is that you feel in control the whole time. So oh okay caitlin we have this system it's broken for our doctors our poor doctors it's broken for our consumers our poor consumers how do we fix this how do we stop viewing birth as this medical emergency and start viewing it for what it is like a natural normal 99 of the time is going to be a safe
1: event how do we do that so i think the reality and you could say it's unfortunate but i don't i don't know that it is um is that It's probably not going to come from like, Oh, new legislature. Like, Hey guys, guess what? Like we've got these new rules and all you doctors better be good now. And the end, I think it's much more of a grassroots effort where we as consumers, we are consumers, we are paying, we start saying, listen, I'm not going to accept this. And that's a lot easier said than done. But one, I will give a great recommendation of a book to read. It's by Dr. Brad Boots-Taylor, who is an OB in the Atlanta area. He is so cool. Like, oh my gosh. He is the coolest guy in the world. (laughs) Dr. Brad Boots-Taylor. He wrote a book called Shared Decision-Making, Bringing Birth Back or Bring Back Birth, something like that. I don't remember the the little subtitle, but Shared Decision Making, you can find it on Amazon. It's Boots, B-O-O-T-S-T-A-Y-L-O-R, all one word. He like created his own last name, that's how cool he is. Um, But anyway, so he talks about the fact that, listen, you've got to hold your care provider accountable. You have to go in and say like, look, okay, let's fill out this questionnaire together. These are the things that I'm looking for in my care provider now can you fill this out and let me know if we agree and so you're scoring up to see are we an ideal fit now the important thing for us to remember is like i said a lot of these practices are are how many people we need to make sure that all of these people are fitting and if they're not then we're saying okay i'm going to go look for someone else who closely aligns with me so a lot of times I think that we just go with what's easiest. Oh, well this, you know, this clinic is really close to me, so I'm just going to like hop on over there and do that or well, my mom went here, so I'll just go to where my mom went. Okay, we need to be very serious about this. This is the birth of our child and this is our birth or rebirth into motherhood. Like this is a day that will be remembered forever. <laughs> so we need to have the right people supporting us. So we're going to start asking like, okay, well, what is your opinion on delayed cord clamping? If that's what's important, you know, what is your opinion on VBACs? Like, can I get in the water? Like we're asking all of the questions on all of the things that are important to us and we're getting the straight answers, not just like a, oh, like, well, we'll see, you know, oh, we'll see is not an answer. That's, that's not an answer. So we're figuring it out. Exactly. Yeah. And they say we'll see, that usually means no. (laughs) No, but I'm going to just like lightly pat you on the back and like, it's fine. (laughs) So, yeah, so we really need to take this into our own hands. And then, of course, from, from my perspective, we need to be considering other care providers. We need to be considering care providers who are trained in physiological childbirth, if that's what you want. Um, so midwives, like I said, <laughs> that's what they do. Like, they are trained in physiological childbirth. They're trained in the fact that birth is an a beautiful ordinary extraordinary event and so really considering like oh could i could i use a midwife like is that something that would appeal to me because they are you know one thing we can talk about really briefly is just like how i mentioned you know when you go to see your ob how often like how long do you talk to your ob when you go to see a midwife i'm just letting you know your appointments are usually 30 minutes to an hour and only a brief period of that time is it like the okay well you got to pee on the stick or whatever like it is so holistically focused on you and the baby and all of this hands on care and attention during the prenatal period so that they can be hands off during the birth so that is just another aspect that we need to consider is how we're going to shift this system from a grassroots way because that's really that's really the only thing that we can do but I and mean, we can obviously like We can write our senators we can do all of that but each decision that we make is important and it counts and the more positive birthing experiences that we have and that we share with others and tell them of their experiences the more they're going to feel empowered to do the exact same thing and that's how a revolution is started right and i
0: do want to point out two This is something that I have learned through the Black Lives Matter movement is that we as white women can start as a collective changing the birth scene for everybody. And it naturally helps take care of our Black and Brown sisters because as we start calling out this bias, when the Black and Brown sisters are calling it out too, they're going to be listened to right? And we're going to start changing these things for the entire birthing unit. Um, And so if you're out there wondering, how can I, how can I help start calling out this sort of behaviors when you see it, you know, start calling out um, on, on Instagram, I have hashtag bad doctors and hashtag bully nurses, and those things are very real. Um, Start calling those things out. You have to start talking about these things, and that is the very small part that you can play that really is going to add up to be a big part in this whole revolution. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. All right, so we've we've talked about you know the reasons to choose home birth. How do you know if you're right for home birth? And then also, how do you go about finding a midwife? And and what if you what if this is speaking to your heart, but you're in a state where home
1: birth is illegal? Uh, great questions. Um, so, no, like I said, we do know that 90% of moms are low risk. So if you, if you do not have anything that's that's, that's labeled high risk, um, you are more than likely great a great candidate for home birth. Now, finding a midwife... It depends, like you said, it depends on where you are. Sometimes it's super easy. I am so fortunate to live in a community, I'm in Greenville, South Carolina, and we have a blossoming birth, like, oh my gosh, like our birth community, it's amazing. We have a number of midwives in just our upstate area and they are like the hardest decision is which one of these amazing people am I gonna use? Like that, I'm not kidding, it is so hard to choose because they're all so wonderful. Um, Other places, it's not like that, and it just breaks my heart because, oh, I just want everyone to have access. Um, If you are in a state, so for example, North Carolina, it's kind of interesting. So we look at North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. This is a perfect example of just how varied everything is. North Carolina, it's illegal for midwives to attend home births. Um, That is you can give birth at home. It's not illegal for you to give birth at home. It is elite, like midwives are not licensed in that state. And the certified professional midwifery um, licensure is not recognized, that certification is not recognized as anything in North Carolina. South Carolina, it's perfectly legal. You can have a CPM, a certified professional midwife. You can have a certified um, nurse midwife now. They're, they are able to practice as well with home birth. In Georgia, it's illegal. So, like, there's not, it's like, it's not a no, but it's also not like there's not these, there are not these specific regulations. So, it just shows you how varied everything is from state to state. So, definitely, I would recommend going to mana.org. I think it's .org, um, And they, you can get a breakdown of your state and what the regulations are, what is and is, is not considered legal from a care provider standpoint. And then you can start to search for your midwife. So that's to say, like, it's not like, oh, nobody's having home births in North Carolina. They're having home births in North Carolina. <laughs> like, they are. You, you want to be really careful, of course. The hard thing about all of this is that when a state says, like, oh, well, you know, you just, sorry. Like, that, that's we're not allowing any type of regular, like, licensure. It makes it a more of a burden on the consumer to find out like, okay, how is this person trained? Do they know what they're talking about? Like, is this the correct person for me? Luckily most things work word of mouth in those states where it is illegal. So finding some doulas, (laughs) you know, finding a doula and saying like, you know, this is something that I've considered is usually the best way to go of course there are now like facebook groups you can look in like crunchy facebook groups and say like hey i'm really interested in home birth i don't know about the care provider situation around here could you pm me and start to start a conversation that way it's usually not going to be something where they're going to throw the name out because we're trying to protect these people that are you know putting their lives and their families' lives on the line um so those are different things to think about and then full spectrum, like, you know, the long-term goal is we've got to make more midwives. We need more midwives. Um, And there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done in the midwifery scheme of things to create sustainable practices and to be able to Take on all of these clients because it is home birth is slowly in the United States becoming more and more popular. And what is happening is some of these midwives are getting burnt out super fast. And, you know, birth work is, it's hard. It's the on-call lifestyle. It's, it's a very difficult lifestyle. So we need to support our local midwives and, um, and really encourage them to practice, safely where, you know, they are still also getting rest and perhaps they have a partner or a backup and, um, and different practices like that to fully, uh, improve the situation. So kind of holistic.
0: Yeah. You know, I love that you talk about that. It makes it more burdensome on the consumer when we have really like silly, outrageous laws like that, that, and, and so I really struggle with laws like that because, um, you're taking away a choice from women that I just don't believe the government has the right to take that away from them, um, especially without, uh, you know, hard numbers, data, science that shows that it's dangerous. It shows that it's safer than hospital. So I, I truly, truly struggle with that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, you're right. It, it makes people sneak around, mm-hmm. right? Exactly what you said. We're not not having home births in North Carolina, like their home births in North Carolina, y'all. right open your eyes they are um if people are just sneaking around to do it and it is burdensome and the our goal is to take things off of a pregnant person's plate not put something heavy like having to sneak around and be secretive and protect their midwife onto their plate um so you know when you vote think about things like that um when when we talk about the varied state laws is it does it come down to education is that what it comes down to is you know some states are going to be more open because that state is is more
1: educated on the subject you know i i think that's an interesting take on it but i'm not sure like it's because it's so varied you know across the country um it's just and and like i said you know you think of north carolina south carolina georgia if we look at like education rates i actually think that north carolina might be quote like a higher education state than perhaps south carolina like and i don't have i'm I'm just like talking right now so this we could totally check on this but but i i really do think it's more just legislation as opposed to education and just how that legislation has come to be um and and since we are talking about this like state to state variation and this idea of licensure i do want to give kind of like a broad spectrum picture of this because, you know, there are a lot of midwives that say like, hey, licensure is the worst thing that's happened to midwifery. Like this is totally inappropriate. And I really respect that, uh, that viewpoint as well. I think it's such a complex subject because on the one hand, you know, we want to have care providers. We want educated care providers and, and the way that we are societally, like we like to say like, okay, show me that you know what you're doing. Like, show me. Um, I really like the CPM, the certified professional midwifery route, because it includes education, but it also includes apprenticeship and, and just that being with another midwife and following them and experiencing birth with them. I think it's just amazing. Not to say that you don't get that in nurse midwifery school. You, you totally do. Um, but yeah, so I do want to kind of bring, just touch on that topic of like Obviously, there are a lot of people that think that licensure is not the answer. And I totally can understand that side of it as well. It's it's such a complex situation. But this like back and forth of like, oh, well, some states it's okay. And some states it's not. And we accept this, but we don't accept that. And, you know, that just makes the whole thing kind of muddier and more complicated.
0: I mean, I think the whole idea too was like, okay, we're going to give licensure and then everyone's, we're going to have this like standard of, you know, license, right? But The problem with that is like, let's think about when we do that in other places. We have a standard of police officers and there's bad apples. We have a standard of OBs, and there's bad apples. We have midwives out out there that are Amazing midwives have been practicing for years have incredible numbers but are not going to be looped into this new legislation, this new licensure simply because of their past qualifications, right? And that is where I struggle with this new licensure thing too. I think if you are practicing midwife, there should be prerequisites that if you meet these based on the certain criteria of, you know, how long you've been practicing, what are your credentials in the past? What do your current stats look like? Like, what are your rates? What are your transfer rates? What are your, you know, your good stats, your bad stats, let's have a standard of that. And we can grandfather these certain people in, we can give them a pass. And you know, as long as you've been practicing up until this point, I don't know. I I just think there's a better way to be able to make it not so cut and dry and really divisive right now. It just is so divisive. It has actually caused tension
1: within the, the midwife community. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And I, I think that it's really hard because um education, you know, as we as we add these additional loops, like right now, you know, there's a to become a certified professional midwife, there are several ways to go about it. And one of them is through this thing called the PEP process. And it's it's like a the, the educational aspect is a little more inexpensive. It's a lot of hands-on apprenticeship. You have so much, so much paperwork. Um, But so that's one way. And then there's this other way where you go to a school and you're either receiving an associate's or a bachelor's degree. That's another great option. But the more we add these pieces of like, okay, you have to go to a class. Like, I mean, you have to go to a program. You have to be able to afford this so you know, we're adding more and more barriers to people becoming midwives when we need more midwives. And, we, and you know, we've talked about like racially, we need more midwives of every race. And so we are discouraging the ability for people to become midwives because it's also really important to remember that it's very hard to hold another job while you are a student midwife you know, it's a birth work, like who, who's going to hire you? It's very hard. So we're adding a lot of financial strain and a lot of financial burden um, to something that like where I mentioned, you know, the career of a midwife right now, the average is seven years. So it's like, there's so many aspects of this that need to be considered as we move forward with, you know, the professionalization, we've decided that this is a professional career, but like, what does that look like with getting more midwives? What does that look like with, with getting more midwives that are highly qualified is sitting in the classroom. I'm I'm not saying that that's not a great thing, but like, what about this hands-on experience and how does this compare? Wow, yes, my wheels are going so much. Oh, how do we get more people birthing at home? Yeah, how do, okay. we, get, how do we get more care providers? It's, oh, there's, there's so much. But if we look at it in a positive light, like, wow, we can only go up, right? Like, There's so much we can do started from the bottom. Now we're here like for
0: (laughs) real in a real life sense. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think you're totally right. We've got so much growth and that actually gives me a lot of hope. Um, it reminds me of, of when coronavirus actually started and people were freaking out and i was like actually i think our maternity care system can grow a lot in this and we have right our nicu stays are down our infant mortality is down people are laboring at home longer more people are starting to explore home birth. like we have had some really great things we've had some crummy things happen too and don't worry people on the inside we're working to to fix those too, but we have had some really good things happen. I actually have a podcast on that. So um, I can link that in the show notes. All right. I I do want to kind of start to wrap up, but I have two more questions for you. Can we talk about the top couple like home birth myths that really hang people up from exploring home birth that just simply aren't true. We talked about the safety. We now know it's safe. What are a couple other things, the top two or three things that you hear that you're like, oh, I just wish you knew the truth. Cause that's not true at all.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love this. And I got to tell you, I don't have it on the date. Like I don't have the date set up. So like, just you guys are gonna have to be waiting, but I actually have a masterclass coming out called home birth myth <laughs> So we're gonna go through the top five home birth myths and we're just gonna bust them. So yes, definitely safety um what happens in the case of an emergency which we talk about you know the, the the fact that midwives are trained medical professionals and that it's not just like well everybody dies like that's not what happens um and so that's definitely something to look into i do have a podcast it's episode 59 what if something goes wrong um check that one out it's with two midwives in california from beautiful and midwifery they're just angels tiffany and kelly um, so we talk about that. So we've got safety. The other one that is oddly common is what about the mess? Like, what do we do about that? Like, that's really messy. Do we just like sell our house after? Because gross. And it's so exciting to let people know that like, no, it's actually not messy. And midwives are so good at like keeping things contained. There's a lot of containing. There's a lot of cleaning up afterwards. You generally will not have any idea that someone had a home birth after the birth. Um, let's see, I've got, I've got a few others that that I feel like come up really consistently, but I think that one of the main things is just, if you are worried, like if if you are interested, but hesitant, one of the things that I would highly recommend is just go interview midwives, like Just go interview them. Take your partner along, especially if it's like, if you're like, oh, my partner's just like really uncomfortable with this idea. Um, Have them go too. have them ask the midwife the questions because they are, they're used to this. It's not like you're going to offend them by asking questions. They're used to the questions and they're used to answering them. So go interview midwives, ask them yourself and see how informed and educated they are on on home birth and on childbirth in general oh my
0: gosh okay so that is the perfect segue into you my friend (laughs) have had a beautiful home birth yourself can you give us just a quick version of your home birth maybe start with how you actually made the decision to have a home birth and i really want to end on the note of you can do this it is going to take work because you're going against the grain, right? It is going to take some effort. You got some stuff to learn. But once you learn about home birth, once you learn about your options, you will never be able to unlearn that. And I guarantee you shift the way that you think about birth, just like a complete 180, right? So tell us, how did this come about? And we'd love to hear your birth story.
1: Awesome. Okay. So I actually was a student midwife before becoming pregnant. So I was already working in the home birth like sector. I had been a doula for a little bit, attended a home birth and my mind was like blown. It was like, okay, well, can't unsee that. That was the most amazing event that I've ever been to. I have to be involved in this world. So I became a student midwife, went through my pregnancy as a student and a pregnant person. Like it was so cool to be able to be, you know, on both ends of the spectrum at the same time. And had my first daughter at home. it was a long labor. She was in a real wonky position. Um, it was it was intense, but it was so beautiful and it was just the most empowering way for me to step into motherhood. I feel deeply that it has just colored my experience, and I feel so strong as a mother like, yeah, I can do I can do this. I can deal with this tantrum right now because I pushed you out in our living room so. like it's such an empowering experience. Now my second home birth was last June and that was after I had created happy home birth podcast. So one thing that I thought was really amazing with that one was I had heard so many beautiful home birth experiences and gained so much wisdom from all of these sources, which, Oh my gosh, I just love the fact that, you know, mom's going through this, do have that because I had it because of the podcast as well. Um, so I realized that mindfulness was huge. And with my first birth, I did feel more as though the birth kind of was happening to me. And what I wanted was to experience my childbirth. And that is that goes for whether, whether you give birth, you know, home, hospital, moon, you know, like you to, to be able to experience it and not have it be happening to you. Um, so I really focused on creating some techniques that would help me be involved in the process more. Um, And that is what happened. And it was a a shorter labor. It was, it was very intense. It was quick, um, like three and a half hours, I think total and I really wanted my daughter to be involved. So she was two and a half at the time. And I know a lot of people are like, what? Like she was there and she was there. We prepared her. I would spend so much time with her talking about home birth, um, talking about what was going to happen. And you know, like mommy's probably going to make some pretty interesting sounds. We would practice the sounds together. We would watch videos. And I would say like, you know, there, see, there's some blood and that, that's okay. That's normal. We just really normalized all of it for her. And so then when her sister was being born, she was, she was trying to get in the birth pool the entire time, like had these little like toys that she kept putting up on the top and like playing with them. And, but I, as I pushed my second daughter out, her head actually emerged. And I was able to say like, Janie, look, like, do you see your sister? So I'm like talking to her with a head out and the body in, it was like, It was the most surreal, empowering, peaceful experience. Um, And that is what I wish for everyone. So I've actually gone on to create resources for that, um, just because I I just want people to realize that it is possible. You can do it. You can not only get through home birth or, or childbirth. You can not only get through it, but you can absolutely love it. And it can be an empowering, beautiful experience.
0: Oh my gosh. I'm like over here crying. Okay. Like blinking my eyes really fast. That was absolutely beautiful. That is, that's my dream. Mm-hmm. That like truly is my dream. I'm like, oh my gosh, I actually am going to cry. That is truly what I want for everybody too. Right. The people who home birth are appropriate for and you feel safe there. I just wish that everybody knew that was an option. Holy cow. Okay. I do want everyone to know too. We've talked about you know, what if things go wrong? I've been in a home birth where there was an emergency um, and it was, it was intense. But the next morning when I woke up, Nicholas said, how do you feel? And I said, incredibly sad, but safe. Um, I never felt like any of us were in danger and it was actually a real emergency. Um, So I do want you to know that things do happen, but you are totally, totally safe. I think nine times out of 10, you're going to have Caitlin's experience. And that one time out of 10, you're in good hands, mm-hmm. You're in good hands. And you know, that one time out of 10 would have happened in the hospital as well. Right. You just would have been in different hands. So consider that. Oh my gosh. All right, Caitlin. Oh, we have gotten me worked up. I have laughed. Now I've been crying. We've taken me through the entire spectrum of emotions. If people wanted to work with you, if something you said today really resonated with someone or hit them, you know, straight in their heart, can you tell us about some offerings that people might be able to, you know, work with you on and where can they
1: find you both to kind of just follow along, but also to work with you? Absolutely. So like we said, Happy Home Birth Podcast is a place to go for all of the home birth, positive home birth stories. I say support, encouragement, and education in all things home birth and motherhood. Um, so that's the great starting place. I have a Facebook group. Called the Happy Homebirth Podcast Community. It is a thriving group. It's the most loving place on the internet, I believe. I'm sure that it, I'm sure yours rivals it. I'm sure it's right, right on, on equality there. But uh, it's just such a lovely place to be. Um, so you can check it out there, and that is where you can find out more about Happy Homebirth Academy, which is my course. And as I was telling you beforehand, I've kind of like launched it and then taken it off and then launched it. Just kind of playing with some of the, just playing with it. Um, so if you are interested and you like go to my happyhomebirth.com and don't see Happy Home Birth Academy as available right when you're listening to this, reach out to me <laughs> and we will talk about it. Um, but it is a childbirth education program designed specifically for home birth mothers, home birth family, because it, there's so much partner involvement and that's, it's just massive. Um, so yeah, eight modules worth of information teaching you that you can have an empowered, peaceful, potentially happy home birth. um, And it gives you the education as well as the techniques to do that.
0: Oh my gosh. I like want to have a baby right now just so I can take your course. I love it. That is amazing. And you know, we, we didn't really touch so much on this and I don't even know if we mentioned it at all since we hit record, but there are not many resources out there for home birth family. So if you're listening and you're like, holy cow, this is the gym I've been waiting for. It really is. So you guys, um, talk to Caitlin, go ahead and, and get that. Cause this resource is really going to be life changing. And you know, when she was explaining this to me, I was like, all right, but I only have one question. Are you teaching partners what to do? Because there's zero info out there for them. And she was like, yep, we got an entire module for your partner. We are teaching them what to do. Nobody's going to go into this thing feeling scared. So mm-hmm. y'all know that is music to my ears. Caitlin, thank you so, so much for being
1: here today. It was such an honor. I am so grateful. It was seriously like this was just the most fun. So thank you so much. It's just like chatting with
0: an old friend. I mean, we're both like sipping our coffees, just hanging out, chatting about probably the number one thing I talk about the most, birth. Oh my goodness. All right, listeners, thank you so, so much for spending your Tuesday with us. We appreciate it so much. I will see you again on Friday for another episode of a Friday Free Talk. Until then, you guys take care. Bye, friends. there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hee and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast.
1: The birth parent deserves all the credit.